Hi, welcome to Conversations on the Turtle. This is Danielle here. I'm doing a little bit of a punch in because we have a special guest with us today, Claudia Bonilla. And we just kind of start talking at the beginning. We The intro comes maybe about three or five minutes in, but I didn't want to cut out the beginning because some of what we talk about is relevant. And, um, and we had a good time. We had some technical difficulties at the end of this episode, so I just wanted to give you a heads up that the episode ends abruptly as soon as Cecilia finishes reading the section on betel chewing, Tambula Sivana. Um, we're reading from Dinacharya Adiyaya, chapter two, uh, which is Desire for a Long Life, and we only get through the first two pages. Nobody's surprised by that, are you? Uh, so we read um, Ruhtana, getting up in the morning to uh, Tambula Sevana, and then it cuts out. I didn't get a chance to thank Claudia publicly for being on the episode. So uh, thank you, Claudia. And if any uh, of you are in the New York City area, or I believe Claudia will be in San Diego for a while, and you're interested in working with, or you have questions for Claudia, I'll put her contact info or her website in the show notes. And another thing I wanted to mention is that we skipped to the end of chapter one to, ret to record this. And so I will be labeling this episode, uh, episode seven, and episode six will come after episode seven. So if you're interested in hearing Ashtanga Hridayam in order, and you would like to hear the end of episode uh, of chapter one first, please wait for chapter uh, episode six to be published, and then you can listen to that and then come back to this later. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Hello. I'm in like a really, I'm I'm in a kitchen, um, like the kitchen that people walk through to go to the bathroom and stuff. So who knows um, how much noise you'll hear soon, but it might be a noisy episode. <laughs> Just a warning. It might be a noisy episode. I'm on the balcony because we're packing up because we're sublating the apartment. Oh yeah, so, yeah. You're going so soon. <laughs> I know. Are you excited? I am. Um, yes, I am really excited. But I am somebody who doesn't grow expectations. You know. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, I'm going there, and it's gonna be cool. And then when I'm there, I'm gonna do the happy dance. So Friday, but we're driving. Wow. I know. That's, that's pretty awesome though. And you're going for <laughs> you're going for school. Yeah. Yeah, kind so of. the kind of the plan was like I need to go to school there somehow. Just that's an excuse of an exit, you know. Yeah. And then Alessandro took it. So <laughs> You're like how do I get this New Yorker out of New York? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's, it's very tough. It's so tough. And uh, he can work. Yeah, he can work remote while you do that. Yes, he can. He could have even before the pandemic work remotely. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, but he loves going to the office. But there's no office anymore, so he yeah. said it's now or never. Uh, we're uh, in Vermont right now, and Sam is like sitting outside, um, taking work calls like in the middle of the lawn. 
and he's getting really frustrated by it because like me and Ansel are hanging out and people are walking by and they're like hey how's it going and he's like this is so distracting (laughs) usually he can uh he can sit in the studio apartment there's like you've been here so there's like that that little house um but he can't right now because somebody's staying there and also because of covid we can't like go in their space you know even though they're like family um so we can't use the space so he's like maybe this isn't working as well as i thought it would and i'm kind of like no (laughs) i don't want to go but he's uh, not used to working from home right yeah he's um he works from home sometimes, but he finds it just as distracting. And he ends up going to the office because he's like, we live a 15, 20 minute bike ride from his office and nobody else is there. So he's just there alone all day. Um, and it's like a pretty nice office. It's like got big windows and it has a kitchen and it's just him and air conditioning, which my house only has in one room. So um, I think that he'd rather just be able to go to his office so he can be away from us for the day and then when he's home he can just be home you know yeah yeah but, oh, we'll but s- i hope it works i hope, I hope he so too. gets we'll used see. to it it's so pretty up there it's i so keep pretty. saying that it's so pretty up there <laughs> um how's it going cecilia is cecilia there Julia? She, she may have checked out for a second we always try to do this when Beatrix is like having her like chill time, um, but that changes when you have babies constantly, so you never know when the chill time's gonna be. <laughs> I don't know in general, yeah. like in my life, so I don't know how it's gonna be. <laughs> how how is school going? Well, I finished last Tuesday. Like finished, and, finished. Well, yeah, the summer semester, okay. summer term, it's not a semester. And then I have three weeks off, which is amazing. But I'll be driving half of that time. Yeah. But that might you know, be fun, too. Exactly. Oh. I, I, was, I was here before. I just, you oh. couldn't hear me. Can you hear me now? <laughs> yeah. Hey. <laughs> I was, Thank like, you. asking questions and no one was answering them. And you were talking over me. And I was like, wait, what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> How's it going, Cecilia? sitting up almost crawling baby which Whoa. is kind of terrifying because then you know they move around yeah it's a lot um pre- until recently she's only been able to kind of move in a circle which is fine because she can't really go anywhere she just can like <laughs> go around the clock um but now she can go forward which is not as exciting well exciting <laughs> but not exciting <laughs> You're like, oh, just when I figured this part out, my life got harder. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And she's getting a tooth, which is also terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Aww. But that's yeah. exciting for her. Uh-huh. Is it exciting for you, Beatrix, to get a tooth? She's like, nah, it kind of sucks right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So... so. I'm going to do a little intro because we already started, but I'm just going to say, um, welcome to Conversations on the Turtle, and I'm Danielle, and I'm Cecilia, and we're here with our friend Claudia, who we um, 
also practices Ayurveda. Claudia, you can introduce yourself if you want. Hi, I'm Claudia. Uh, I was lucky to meet Danielle and Cecilia studying Ayurveda. And um, yeah, I'm so happy to be here with you guys. And what do you do? Tell us about what you do. And we kind of like did a whole episode where we talked about like our paths, like where we, how we got into this. Um, you don't have to go into everything if you don't want to, but, um, but like. It's kind of neat to hear how people find Ayurveda, right? Because it's not so normal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mine was, I found Ayurveda. So I was born and raised in Peru. And then at 25, I found yoga. Like at 25, I said, it's time to change my life. I'm going to do yoga. And then when I decide to do something, I just jump to it. So I did a teacher training and they taught me Ayurveda and the doshas, which was super interesting. And a year later, I was in India. I was visiting Ayurvedic doctors, Ayurvedic pharmacies. And um, so one thing led to the other. I was traveling the world. I met my husband in Thailand. And then he brought me back to Brooklyn that with has cold weather that I never knew before. And I had to learn Ayurveda all over again back in 2018. And that took me eventually to take a course in Ayurveda where I met Danielle and Cecilia. And at the same time, I was, uh, I'm a massage therapist and now I'm doing a master's in Chinese medicine. So I really like five elements theory, either Chinese medicine or Ayurveda. And basically now I'm eating Ayurveda and practicing Ayurveda in the morning and like the Dinacharya, what we're going to talk about today, but doing more acupuncture and Chinese medicine for treatment of disease. So I know, I don't know. I want to hear that was alone. <laughs> I, I want to hear all I want to hear eventually, maybe whenever sometime I, I want to hear your opinion on uh, studying these two um, systems side by side and your experience with that and how um, I don't know. I, a lot of people who study Ayurveda go on to study Chinese medicine and some do because they have some kind of a background in Chinese medicine and some do because Chinese medicine is licensed throughout you know, the US. So it's easier to establish a practice where with Ayurveda, I find most people don't know what it is. So they're like, what do you do? <laughs> you know, and um, and so, yeah, there are a lot of people that practice side by side and I think that they all have a different idea of, or a different reason for doing that. And they um, make different connections between the systems. And I find it pretty interesting. Yes, it is. Well, I did it because I actually got sick like six years ago. I had a terrible, I never had migraines or anything. I was a healthy, a healthy woman. And then suddenly I got cluster headaches which are just sudden headaches where you just get auras you can't see and everything goes downhill with nausea and stomach ache and pain all over the body and that's when uh, I said what's going on you know I went back to India once again instead of taking the muscle relaxants that uh, the doctors 
the regular doctors gave me. That's when I went back to India and I, w- I got treated with Ayurvedic uh, pills, Ayurvedic remedies, as well as diet and lifestyle recommendations. And uh, along with that, I was practicing yoga and doing, I think, twice a week acupuncture treatment for pain relief. So I've always kind of had those two working hand in hand for me. And like I said, I envision myself, well, now, um, practicing Ayurveda um, daily with through food and lifestyle and do acupuncture more like a treatment, in my case, pain relief. So that's my background. And of course, the licensure, it's a big one that gets you go to this almost four years of studies in, in Chinese medicine. That sounds pretty cool. That sounds like, yeah, I, that. (laughs) It sounds so neat because I don't know, every system has good things and bad things, right? Or, or strengths and weaknesses is probably a nicer way to put that. But I mean, the Dinacharya, the daily routine of Ayurveda and the diet and lifestyle, I feel like are so powerful, but it's nice to have the combination with Chinese medicine where that kind of leaves off. Exactly. I, I feel like they complement each other so well. Um, and they're beautiful by itself. And it's very important to keep, keep the your energetic lines very clear. That's how one of my teachers says, who's also a Western practitioner as well as a Chinese medicine practitioner. So that's what I'm trying to do while gathering all this massive information from both sides. It's interesting. So I, I have um, one question about Chinese medicine. I, you know, Chinese medicine has its own kind of spiritual path, but I know that um, that has evolved or it has changed in the past probably 50 years or, or more since the uh, Chinese revolution. Um, can you speak to your, because ex- I know that some of your spiritual path involves like the, the Vedic um, spirituality have you have has that changed since you've learned about chinese medicine do you practice like tai chi or anything um and do you what can you comment on any of that yes uh so yeah i'm a big uh devotee of uh goddesses and gods from the vedic tradition i still consider that my spiritual like backbone of my own personal life and I, like you said, with the Chinese revolution, a lot of that was kind of broken apart. So, and also licensure um, steps here in the United States have kind of discerned all of the spiritual path and make it more like pragmatic. And this is what Oriental medicine is in the United States and is in like modern China. But, um, I think it's such spiritual path in general. It's such a personal choice. Mm-hmm. I remember like one of our, our fellow uh, people up there in, in Kupalu were like, think, where do I find this spiritual backbone? And like, I think that's something so personal. Yeah. You know, it's so personal. Like the, the science 
because it's the science of life of Ayurveda or the science of Oriental medicine, it's there, you know, and you need an extra support for that other path, which I don't think that it's separated. It can meet at some time, mm. but um, I, I like, I have a little bit of OCD, so I like separating a few things. Yeah. <laughs> I'm complimenting them when when I feel that I need extra support. So I have a question about the this well, just more of a conversation point I guess than a direct question, but we've talked a little bit about our own spiritual paths and how I wasn't technically looking for something when I found Ayurveda, but what that provided um in connection with yoga and I guess, opening up different paths. I was wondering if you did one lead to the other for you or was it the spiritual thing brought you to yoga and Chinese medicine and Ayurveda? Um, Does that make, did that make sense as a question? I know, but I, I don't know which one was it. I don't know if it was the chicken, chicken or egg. the egg. Yeah, <laughs> kind of situation. I got to say that I went to yoga because I was heartbroken. So it might be kind of spiritual <laughs> quest that I had there just to fill out something. And it just, it was like an, a door that I opened and it was like, whoa. Like, like the yoga is like doing the asanas, feeling the body, feeling strong, you know. And like, wow, with Ayurveda, I'm feeling even more healthy. And oh, wow, if I sit and I pray and I contemplate I get this peace of mind so it's it's like these multiple layers of I don't know no I think that's that's so neat the multiple layers and I think it's also Mm -hmm. something in the west and maybe in specifically in uh, the U.S. that we kind of don't think about we want to take spirituality away from the bodily experience but how bodily it is and how often people do find it in those sorts of places how you know sitting as you just said sitting and contemplating can bring you peace of mind or it can bring you a spiritual connection sitting and breathing which Mm -hmm. most people might not think of exactly and i believe like once again ayurveda and dinacharya is the only one that kind of tells you oh there's space for this contemplating that's minimum that it could be like 10 seconds a minute in between your ritual especially in the morning for me you know how you find those spaces i've had um since the uh well probably because of the um um pandemic situation and being home with my kid and my husband all the time and not and staying up later than I'm supposed to. <laughs> my, my morning routine has been um, knocked totally off, but I've been reclaiming aspects of it slowly and trying to accept that it is what it is, you know, just like making, I, like this morning, I, I did a five minute yoga practice <laughs> followed by like five minutes of like chanting and usually I do I mean like back before this all started I would wake up a whole hour or two before Ansel my son woke up so um and I would try to get in as much as I you know I would just spend that time in in like contemplation and um but now like five minutes I'm like oh this feels okay like this is what I have and I'm okay with this right now um and it's interesting to see how that like changes as you 
like based on what you can work in and what you can't I did go through a period of time where I was kind of frustrated that I wasn't doing more and then I was like oh just like meet yourself where you are (laughs) just be where you are Um, and that that marries so beautifully with what Claudia said about making space for it right if you don't make any space it's hard to have that spirituality or that connection but if you make some space even if it is five minutes and is the mother of a new baby I feel that so much like if I have if it's just five minutes it makes such a difference of course it's nice when the mornings I get an hour but I mean making just that little carving out that little tiny space for yourself for that connection makes such a difference yes it definitely does I don't have a baby and I have an hour in the morning uh but it's it's an hour, but it's not like an hour of yoga or an hour of contemplating. It's just an hour of like just sitting, you know. I, I also felt a little bit like I'm not doing enough, but we're also going through a pandemic. And I'm here in New York City, so we were in severe lockdown. And it is, it is funny how it reflects you know, like what your environment is going through, like the fear and the uncertainty, it kind of creates this, like everybody was paralyzed. Like the city was quiet and I was sitting down and I was like, I can't do much, you know, like what is my Dinacharya? Okay, tone scraping. One, that was the one that I would do every day. And that was pretty much for a month because there was a lot of uncertainty. And, um, but once again, adjusting and going back at least for a little bit to that space. Yeah, I kind of quit tongue scraping because I couldn't (laughs) work it in and then I recently started doing it again. And I was like, why did I stop doing this? I don't understand. Uh, I stopped doing it for a while, too. And I was like, wait, if there's one thing I can do every morning, it's probably tongue scraping. <laughs> like if, I can, if I can have one practice that I get up and no matter what, I can still do it. Right? Exactly. It's the tongue scraping. <laughs> like t- tongue scraping and rose water is like the, you know, the easiest. I don't always do the rose water. I only do it if I need it. But <laughs> like... I've- I've been living with tongue scraping and rose water. I'm like, okay, this is how you're better. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, tongue scraping is uh, actually not that approved in Chinese medicine. I know that. <laughs> and because I know that, I'm like, should I do this? Should I not do this? Is this bad? Do I need more yin? And then I'm like, energetic lines. Keep them clean. <laughs> exactly. I have to accept that I, um, I tongue scrape. And actually, I was one of the patients in one of our virtual clinics. And there was another yoga practitioner uh, slash Ayurvedic practitioner and, and that clinic shift. And she said, um, I have a question for Claudia. I'm like, yes. Do you tone scrape today? I'm like, well, not today. And she's like, yesterday? I'm like, yes. And the day before that? Yes. She's like, hmm, interesting. <laughs> And I saw how everybody disapproved my tongue scraping. You know, I wonder, the funny thing about the Chinese medicine and the tongue scraping is, okay, I've never looked into this, so I'm just going to say it. So there are people that I'm related to and some other people that I know that have told me that (laughs) flossing is bad for your teeth because you, um, 
ruin the microbiome in your mouth. And um, I obviously I floss like a lot because I have really bad teeth. <laughs> and I'm like, is that like part of the removing yin from your mouth? You know, the same thing with the tongue scraping. Like, are we just like pulling the like good potentially good bacteria from our mouths is that where this idea comes from no um, yeah <laughs> no please floss everybody <laughs> every dental hygienist is like please floss i know floss. <laughs> everybody in the world like, please, but, but i mean the microbiome thing doesn't that that's a huge assumption that you are in total balance and you're eating a diet that doesn't have like any added sugars or anything like that in it. Definitely. Exactly. <laughs> Which pretty much no one in this country is eating. Yeah. That being said, I won't out the person that I know that does not floss and never brushes their teeth, but I happen to know someone very well that never brushes their teeth, like maybe once a week and never flosses. And they have perfect teeth perfect Ooh. never no cavities ever white strong perfect teeth and i don't understand it um i'm, I'm very, very jealous, jealous clearly but <laughs> wow, wow. Yeah. does he do any oil pulling any vinegar intake very strong ashti datu yes there you go yes there you go. um so now is that it, we is it datu sar is that what it is when you have a very very strong you're like a un you're kind of superman for that Datu. I don't know. There's an actual word where like certain people are because of their uh, whatever karma, background, genetics, whatever it is in that specific Datu, they are very strong. So, you know, somebody who's like naturally muscled or something might be, might have that. Ah, Datu Sar. I'm going to look that up. I'll look it up and get back to everybody about it, but I'm pretty sure that it's something like that. Um, since we're already talking a lot about Dinacharya, maybe we should start the reading. Um, and what we usually do, Claudia, uh, mm-hmm. is we read a section out loud. Um, and um, so we'll just like read a whole section and then we'll just talk about it, whatever. We don't always explain all of I, I think you've listened to some of us, uh, some of our of podcasts. We don't always explain like every detail, um, but we just comment on what we've read and have a little conversation about it. And then we get as far as we can and then we stop. Um, which and, is usually not very far. Which is usually, we are really... Because as you've noticed, we've already been recording for like over 20 minutes, right? <laughs> <laughs> we haven't read anything yet. Um, and... Uh, on the subject of haven't read anything yet, I have barely read this chapter and I have taken very few notes, so I don't know how great I'm going to be at chatting. But Dinacharya is something that we all have studied so much anyways that um, I'm sure I'll have something to say. Exactly. <laughs> um, and uh, I also wanted to mention, actually, I might actually, eh, I'll just mention it now. I was going to mention it at the beginning, like do like an insert recording, but me and Cecilia skipped an entire section at the end of chapter one, which we might go back to. Um, okay. we'll, we'll probably like put it in there somewhere. So I'm not sure if we will publish this now and then, or if I'll wait until we publish the end of chapter one. I might just do it out of order because who cares? And um, and I'll like make a note <laughs> that if you want to hear the end of chapter one, just skip this episode and go back to it. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. And, you know, for posterity's sake, we should put the other, the lists in there. We should read them. Yeah. Um, 
and they're because it's a boring one so we weren't that excited and um you know we have kids and it's hard to navigate life um instead of recording we chatted <laughs> yeah we chatted like we were like yeah let's podcast and then we just chatted like three times so <laughs> I was looking for that. Yeah. I was like, why am I supposed to, like, what happened here? Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. It's too bad we didn't record them because there were some good conversations in there, but they were, we did not read the lists. Nobody missed out on that. So don't worry yeah. if you're out there listening to the podcast and thinking you missed them. Yeah. We, we kind of decided that, like, we're just going to hit record from now on. And if it's worth putting out there, we're going to put it out there. But I also think that by hitting record, it puts the pressure on to actually do the podcasting part or the reading part of the podcast. Um, so, like, I'm like, oh, we're 26 minutes in. It's probably time to start reading. <laughs> Does anyone want to do the honors and um, read the uh, intro and the um, Pratarutana? Pratarutana. I've been with a Japanese person all weekend, so now my Japanese, my like, my Sanskrit accent is going to be Japanified or something. It's gonna be terrible. This is this is horrible. This is gonna be perfect Sanskrit is gonna be ruined now. Totally ruined. We should just stop the podcast now. It's over. We're canceling the podcast. Oh god. <laughs> Anyone want to do the honors? Okay, let's. Yeah, go, Claudia. Do you want to do it? Do you have your? Let's do it. I have it in front of me. Chapter two. Binacharya Adhyaya. Okay, maybe this is going to be a little bit hard. It's beautiful already. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> okay, we shall now expound the Dinacharya Adhyaya chapter on daily regimen. That said, Adria and other great sages. Pratarutana, getting up in the morning. The healthy persons should get up from bed during Brahma Muhurta to protect his life. And on the notes, it says, the last three hours of the night from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. is known as Brahma Muhurta because it is the best time for study and obtain Brahma or knowledge. So okay. um, when I read this, I was like, wow, yeah, Brahma Muherta, that's a really important time. And I started like looking up. This is why it's taken me so long to get through this. I started like reading uh, Claudia Welch has a really great article on Brahma Muherta. And I was like, I should read this. And then I was like, I don't want to say everything she is saying, but I do want to say everything she is saying. <laughs> so I'm going to put a link to that article in the show notes <laughs> because it's definitely worth reading. Um, but in short, like pretty much it's like an hour and 36 minutes before sunrise. But opinions on exactly when Brahma Muharta is very are. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because this is, I, I mean, the context of where this is written is important too. Because you're pretty much at the equator, which means you almost always have 12 hour days and nights. That's interesting. So it's not going to change that much in India, right? Depending on where you are. Like, it will a little bit further north, but compared to, for instance, where you are in Vermont right now, like, your sunrise is going to change quite a lot over the course of the year. Um, the length of day changes. Yes, I have to say that, because 
growing up in Lima, we literally had 12 hour days. So it goes from in the winter at five in the morning, no, in the summer, sunrise at five and in the winter at six. And then once again, uh, sunset at six and then 6.30. So, and that's the whole year. Yeah, so, compared to, for instance, Copenhagen, where, you know, in yeah. the summer, like, I, I mean, depending on when you're calling sunrise, sunset, dusk, dawn, like, you're somewhere in the middle of the night for both of those during the yeah. summer because you're so close to the Arctic Circle, or at 56 North. But for us, that's really close to the Arctic Circle or compared to India, right? Yeah. Yeah, when I was living in, in Lima, I didn't have a curtain, actually, because I like the cycle. And yeah. when I moved here to Brooklyn, I said, oh, no curtains once again. No, it was a horrible mistake, especially with the pandemic. <laughs> because my house is like, we, we face like the, the sun and it's like a greenhouse. Oh, yeah. And like, I get so pita aggravated throughout the day. Plus, you're in New York, so you're bound to be yeah, pit aggravated throughout the day. Anyways, right? I don't know when they're, all their rhythms get set, but oh, no, she pretty I'm much won't out. go to sleep unless it's dark outside. Oh, like, no matter what, she's tired. But if she'd like to sleep for the night, she it needs to be dark outside. So I'm happy we're not living in Scandinavia right now. Otherwise, it would have been a really long, long summer. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, when I lived abroad, I wasn't on the Ayurveda yet, so um, I have no idea how long the days were. <laughs> I have no idea how much. I just know it was really hot <laughs> uh, in the summertime in Japan. So, um, yeah. So do That's either really of... interesting, though, yeah. because we, I mean, once you have a Dinacharya, once you have a routine, you actually notice these things, right? You know when the new moon is or when the full moon is. You know when sunrise you you're just so much more in tune with everything that's happening around you in your environment just by getting up at the same time every day um yeah definitely i yeah there are things i i mean i've always been in i've always paid attention to the moons because i followed astrology but not not for spiritual reasons before just because i was interested you know and then now it's like I mean, now I, I don't eat meat on the on the moons, on the full or new moons. And um, now it's like a spiritual practice for me. But um, but yeah, that was uh, that was it really, though. Like other than that, I didn't pay too. I, I mean, we have four seasons here, but and I know when they are, but I wasn't paying attention to how they affected me. I didn't even notice I was dry in the winter time, you know, like my, I had dry skin. I was like, oh, my skin's dry. It has nothing to do with anything around me, <laughs> you know? Um, it is interesting how it, you start making connections that before, instead of looking for like reasons before, I looked for remedies. Exactly. You know? Yeah, like, that's neat. And um, I find that even talking to clients, a lot of uh, clients do that. Like when you give them the reasons the first time you talk to them, they're they're like, oh, I guess I never thought about that. Um, and then they kind of go back to that mindset where they're like, what's the remedy? I just want the remedy, you know. And um, sometimes some people really take just need some time to um, to find 
to, to like make peace with the fact that there isn't a magic pill that's going to solve everything and that it, it, some of it is that they have to pay attention to their bodies and the, the space that they're in and see how yeah. things work out for them um and once they start doing that they like they slowly start coming back to you <laughs> looking for um looking to understand more you know it's such a different approach though right to actually think about what is the root cause of this thing that's happening like for instance dry skin because if you went to a dermatologist they're not going to try and tease out what's causing your dry skin unless they're very um in touch dermatologists they're just going to give you some creams yeah so I guess in, with Chinese medicine, how does that intersect? Like if you're giving, and we don't, I don't know how much we, I don't want to put you on the spot, Claudia, I guess. So you can just <laughs> say pass. <laughs> but if somebody came in with like for pain management for acupuncture, is there a kind of teasing out of root cause that you work with that you hope to maybe in your future practice or currently? Yeah, yeah, part of the clinical practice that they teach us since the beginning is that there's the root and branch treatment. There are multiple ways of treating uh, the chief complaint that the person has at the moment, but you are seeing the whole, like in Ayurveda, you say, what time of the day do you feel more dry? What time of the year? Uh, do you notice what were you doing before, after? So we kind of ask the, ask the same questions. And we also have the circadian clock, as in Ayurveda. And we can see when the symptoms come up and what um, element is affected. Each element has its own organs. If, if the pairs of yin and yang that work together, and if you identify the element and then identify the organ and then identify if it's yin and yang, you can actually see the root and mm. treat the branch on the first treatment, but aim to go to the root. Or if you have somebody who's your patient forever and you know what his root is and he trusts you, you will go to the root because we know that in like this kind of medicine, the treatment is a little bit uncomfortable for the Western mind, to say the least. Yeah. Un uncomfortable for the Western mind is a good way to put it. Yeah, that is a nice way to put it. <laughs> no, and I'm, I'm from Peru, but I was raised with the Western mind, you know, so I've gone through that as well. Yeah. You know, and once you go through that, like, oh, wait, this medicine it's so weird it's making me feel a little bit weird but then once you're on the other side it's like wow I really needed that you know it I, I created space I, I think I need space because I've been <laughs> I keep saying space all the time sorry I've been quarantined in Brooklyn <laughs> you're like when am I leaving when am I leaving Brooklyn <laughs> um, it's interesting too on the other side of that how when you step away from the western mindset for a while um like how you realize how western medicine affects other aspects of your your being and this is something i didn't i mean i used to take um i used to take a lot of advil like a real lot like i took advil every single day um because i have like aches and pains and i have uh, my joints uh hurt a lot i have like a lot of issues with my joints and um and when i started studying ayurveda i quit advil um, 
and I just stopped taking all of this stuff, all of the things that I relied on or I just took blindly to get through the day. And I started thinking about what I was putting into my body. And, um, and now if I take it, if I find that I need it for something or if I take anything really, I can tell, like before I didn't notice that it bothered my stomach and now I'm like, oh, that kind of bothers my stomach or, oh, I can feel that in my kidneys now, you know? Like you feel, you're like, kind of, you start to see how the effects that it has on other parts of your being that I just took for granted before. Yeah, you start noticing things. It's like, I think part of the Ayurvedic um, way of living is getting to know yourself. Like yeah. I said in the introduction, like I grew up in Peru and in Lima, which is by the coast. It's not too cold. It's not too hot. It's not too windy, not rainy at all. So it was very simple to live an Ayurvedic life down there <laughs> and in India as well. If you had the Ayurvedic pharmacy and like all these herbs and I actually bought a, an Ayurvedic like dictionary of all the remedies. I'm like, if it happens, go to the pharmacy, take this. And I was like, it was like heaven. <laughs> <laughs> and then when I came here to New York City, I was like, wait, what? Four seasons? I'm like, okay. And then wait, it rains at nine, but then it's sunny at noon. And then it's like super windy at five. So I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Now is when the real Ayurveda is going to come in handy. <laughs> yeah. I can imagine. Um, I've lived in New England pretty much my whole life, with the exception of uh, one year in Japan. And um, and yeah, this is like all I know. I can't, when I think about living somewhere where it's warm all the time, I'm like, how do you keep your pitta under control? Like, cause I'm like dying in the summertime. Well, you don't have bread. Yeah. For it to start yeah. with. <laughs> that's like, a big one that yeah, just goes away fun things. <laughs> and um, the vegetables are very few so you just eat whatever is available yeah that's, um, that's one really nice thing about being in Vermont there are farm stands everywhere and we just go and get whatever they have at the farm stand and eat that and um, I love it I, I get um, like a CSA at home but it's not it's not the same as like just walking down the street and getting food that was grown literally blocks from, well, you know, here it's a country block, so it's a little bit bigger, but, um, <laughs> but it's pretty nice. <laughs> Cecilia's like, meh, meh. <laughs> She's like, I live on a farm and I grow all my own food. <laughs> Staring out at the farm. <laughs> uh, but I know well, I'm sorry though, here right? at I mean, my, that... yeah. oh, sorry. No, go ahead. No, you're staring at your farm while it's staring at my balcony tomatoes that are like all burned from the summer here in New, in New York. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, I know is feeling this like hardcore right now. <laughs> um, it's a, it's totally different, right? Living like paying attention to your kidneys. I mean, how many people in New York have ever thought about their kidneys really, unless they've had kidney trouble? Like we never, we're not taught to think about that in the Western. We're right. just taught to take the Advil, right? To like ignore it if you have a pain. Not never to like, what vegetables in season? What should I be eating right now? I probably didn't even know where my kidneys were until two years ago. Like, like <laughs> you know, like I wasn't, I wasn't paying attention to that. Like I probably heard it and it went over my head and 
And I was like, oh, this pain in my back, it's just a back pain, you know, or whatever, if I had an infection or something. But, um, yeah. Well, growing up in Peru, we have more of the in-touch kind of folk medicine yes. tied with the Western medicine. Uh, like, if you have back pain, or like, oh, my kidneys, you know, like, you're always protecting your kidneys from your back or, like, if somebody is grumpy all day, like, there's a saying in Peru, like, oh, don't do liver because if you're angry all the time, you like, you'll affect your liver, which is really funny that in Chinese medicine, the emotion of liver is anger when it's under control. Um. So, yeah, it's like, oh, there's all these funny, like, um, superstitious, like, quote unquote, superstitious uh, sayings in Latin America that kind of tie down with your own body and health. You know, what's interesting. I, I, when I talk to clients, um, I'm really reluctant to, you know, give them the, you know, like Dr. Laud has these really great lists of like what you should eat if you're Vata or Pitta or Kapha and what you should avoid. And when I was first learning Ayurveda, those were the kind of things that I would give to people. But as I've, as my practice has evolved, I've kind of, I've stopped doing that because what it does is it creates eating disorders in people. They're like, or disordered eating in people. So what they do is they're like, oh, I can't eat potatoes right now. Or <laughs> you know what I mean? Instead yeah, of just obsessed. eating real food. And so what I've been doing with a lot of people is I just say, like, what kind of food do you like? And like, where is your family from? And what do you like? I ask them to like, look into the systems associated with their culture or where like because all the food systems like i'm sure in, in peru if you look at the diet is it ayurvedic yeah they eat seasonal exactly but you need to understand that also peru has so many different regions like two hours away you're in a different ecosystem with different fruits exactly we're like we're so blessed but then like we have year-round avocados and i shouldn't be eating avocados in like winter at the beach you yeah. know so it kind of still the western kind of living it's there even though the ayurvedic quote-unquote like seasonally eating is there yeah people that are in touch they have their own land because who live in the mountain or who live in little towns outside they have their own farmers market yeah like when the farmer market uh fashion went back down to lima i just started laughing because like what do you mean about farmer's market like closing a, a road like because my parents are actually from the amazon area mm. and my dad would always take us in his car and all over peru so we were really really lucky growing up and seeing what real peru is outside of lima which is a super modern city with 10 million people and uh, when all these farmers markets things were happening in Lima and it was the place to be, it was like, wait, what? That's <laughs> that's something normal. <laughs> Why are people are making it like their weekend getaway? <laughs> yeah. I I think it's kind of amazing that like like because do you think that because I, like growing up in Peru and having seen that and having like a relationship with local food from the beginning, um, I feel like that must have like it, it's it makes it it probably makes it easier to connect the uh food and health in your life 
Um, whereas I think most Americans never have a concept of this, like at all. Like they're, I mean, our food is shipped all over the world from all over the world, and I think some people never eat locally. Like I don't think I ever ate locally growing up at all. Yeah, yeah. I remember my mom would take us, and it was part of it. You go to the neighborhood market, and you get whatever is there, you know. And you have the in this space. You have uh, the butchers, you have uh, all the farmers just getting everything together. And eventually we had these big supermarkets. Um, but in Peru, it's still valued that. And unfortunately, it, it is so valued that with the coronavirus, a lot of the people were getting infected by going to this like weekly, like, or at least every two to three days they were going to buy food so yeah that's how ingrained it is still so i think one of the things that i struggle with is how to ingrain this in like everyday americans who come to me and they just want the magic pill and what i end up doing is asking them to examine some aspect of their whatever tradition that they come from or speaks to them uh, look at the food systems in those places and learn about how they would eat if they were, if they're Italian, you know, if it's in Italy, like you grew up eating mostly Italian food at home, but none of it was local and you're mostly divorced from those traditions, but like explore them a little bit and try to apply some of these concepts to the way you eat now um, while using things that are from where we are you know um and some people that works with pretty well um and it makes for less disordered eating i think um or like less obsessing over like oh my god i can't have a cracker you know <laughs> like i have too much vata i can't have a single cracker um i hate having to do that with people <laughs> you know you can have a cracker yeah. yeah with like spices and milk to give yes. it a little like <laughs> Sorry, um, it, it makes the eating expansive, right? If you say, like, learn about a culture or learn about a food and try to make that food, it makes it an adventure of how can you eat to make you feel good instead of this prescription of, like, you cannot eat, thou must not eat anything not on this list at any time yeah. during the year. And then during this time of the year, you can't eat anything on this list. Um yeah, my mother recently, because when I first, I, I, my mom was one of my test clients. Like when I was first studying, I was like, hey, uh, I, I, you know, I gave her the list. And then she was like, yeah, but I'm not allowed to eat all this stuff. So like I stopped eating this stuff. And then I had to tell her like very recently, I was like, she told, she brought the list back out and she was like, I'm going to go back to this. And I was like, mom, that was like years ago at this point. Like you have to be, <laughs> you need an eval again. Like you need to, we need to start from like square one if you're going to do this. And I'm like, just eat food. Just eat food. You don't eat enough. Just eat food. I had to tell her. Uh, so I hope she's eating food. I don't know if <laughs> she's listening to me. but um, I hope everybody eats food. Yeah, eat some food. <laughs> yeah, eat food. Eat food. Go to your grocery store yeah. and go to the area of the produce and get the produce that is local and it's cheap. If yeah. it's cheap, it means that it's in season. And yeah. then cook it. Cook exactly. that food. Cook and, then, cook yeah. and then eat it. And then don't eat <laughs> chips after you eat your food. And don't eat chips before you eat your food. <laughs> like, like, can you eat them with the food? Okay. You can, can have a few. how you feel the next morning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
we were talking about Brahma Muharta before yeah. we started. Yeah, let's go back to Brahma Muharta. <laughs> so before we move on to the next one, I just wanted to ask, do either of you use Brahma Muharta in a special way? Or do you have a relationship to this period of time? Or do you have anything that you want to say specifically about this? I, in the pre-baby days, so find like having a practice in the morning allowed me like it released me from so much other stuff in my life so making space for spirituality and I don't know if it was the specific hour it happened to be that right like that I would get up before work and that became a sacred time back when I had a corporate career um but connecting with myself and the universe during that time allowed me to walk away from that career and change my life in so many other ways so i think that i still have a special feeling for it and i love getting up before uh before just before the sun comes up when i was a runner and when i would travel i loved that time to run either where i was living or in a new city because you get to see the world in a different way at that time like it's such a it feels like such a special time before the world truly wakes up before everything is happening and people are busy um now I feel like I have less of a relationship with it, but I'm sure I will again one day. Yes, that time is so special. Same here. Um, with pre-pandemic as well, it was that moment to just do something for yourself and having also the city quiet. It's like, it's like precious time. So, um, and Cecilia and I, we used to practice yoga very early in the Brahma Mukhurta time back in India. So, mm. and it's that silence, uh, that stillness. It's like time slows down a little bit, you know, right before the sun comes out. I, yeah, I, yeah, the energy is totally different at that hour, I think. It's a complete, I like that the, the time slows down, or it's different. I don't know, it's such a, it has such a special quality to it that you don't get any other time of the day. I used to run uh, during that time before I practiced Ayurveda. And, um, and I felt if I, it, it was like being in the city as well. Uh, it, it's where you find peace in the city. Like everything is still. And um, I was just able to connect with something else. Um, and I don't know what it was because at the time I, you know, I didn't have like an outwardly spiritual practice. I thought of like running was my meditation. And then I spent some time like stretching in a parking lot <laughs> next to where I picked up my car every morning. Um, but I was just able to be like still, I could find stillness in movement, which is kind of, it, it it's harder for me to find like now I'm waking up later um, because of pandemic and child raising and um, I'm I'm having a harder time connecting with that stillness you know um, it or it takes an more of an effort now like I have to actually sit and spend time in meditation or spend time um, breathing or in some kind of a practice whereas uh, when I was running it just kind of came to me during that time
think it's, I mean, it kind of says that in the notes, right? Like, it's the best time for study and mm. obtaining knowledge. It is, I think it's the easiest time to make those connections. At least for me. Yeah, been. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Um, and I think it, it is because, like, it just comes to you. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I, I wasn't looking for anything, but, like, I was on a spiritual path that I didn't recognize as that because I think I was doing something during this time you know it became my meditation even though that wasn't the intention behind it and it wasn't even really a thought in my mind at the time um and it also just it like freed me from anxiety for the whole day because i practiced at that time you know and at the time i was working full time and you know i was still a mom and i had a lot going on i was like actually extremely busy and sometimes when i look back at how chaotic that time was i'm like i think the only reason i was okay is because i was awake at you know 4 30 5 o'clock running <laughs> you know it really like helped me to be find peace within myself yeah it was giving yourself time yeah. for you you know even if you were moving it was it was your own movement you know your own time yeah um, that's something we don't take. We don't. We, it's easy to take that for granted. I think. And, and the, I, now in pandemic time, more people are like, "Oh yeah, I never take time for myself. I don't know how to sit still." But um, <laughs> they're starting to see this. But usually, aside, you know, outside of the pandemic, I think a lot of people just don't even stop for a moment to check on themselves. You know, or they don't. Know yeah. Now we is. actually have time. Yeah. For that, there was this very funny. I don't know if it was a tweet or something on Instagram or something pretty early in the pandemic. And it was something to the effect of like, great, now we have time to be alone with our thoughts. <laughs> and everyone's like, nah, no thanks. I'll learn how to make bread. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, there's so much to just making yourself available, like, ma yeah, making yourself available within that time. So whether it's running or going for a walk or sitting quietly or just, I don't know, having something that is not mentally active, perhaps. So even if that's reading a spiritual book, um, just having that quiet time seems to open oneself to the possibility of spirituality or connection, which is very lovely. Yeah. In shamanic tradition down in Peru, in the Amazon, um, they do diets in order to take all these remedies from the jungle and one of the it consists of like no salt no sugar no chocolate coffee but then when when you want to diet a little bit more it would mean like in the basically in the brahma muhurta time diet a book which means read that book early in the morning before any food intake and i like how and I, I'm sure that you will find lots of this repetition of times of rituals at this special time all over the world. Yeah. Um, it goes back to like how every, every traditional diet is Ayurvedic too. All of the, the folk medicines being, is like pretty much lines up with Ayurvedic um, thought as well, you know? Yeah. Um, you can just pick any of them really just go with it yeah um since we're um one paragraph into page one of our discussion 
maybe um, we should move on to the cleaning of the teeth. Um, do you want to read, Cecilia? Should I take the... I can read this one. All right. So, Danta Devana. Cleaning of teeth. Uh, contemplating on the condition of his body, the person should next attend to ablutions. The, after eliminating the urine and feces, then after, he should clean his teeth with twigs of arca, Nayagruda, Padira, Karanja, Kakudba, etc., which are astringent, pungent, and bitter in taste. They, the twigs, should be the size of the cup, or the, sorry, the tip of the little finger in thickness, and 12 anjulas, a finger's breadth in length, and straight. Its top <clears throat> made like a soft brush by chewing. The teeth should be cleaned without hurting the gums. And then it goes on. Persons suffering from indigestion, vomiting, <coughs> dysponia, cough, fever, facial paralysis, thirst, ulcerations of the mouth, diseases of the heart, eyes, head, and ears should not make use of the toothbrush for, cle for cleaning the teeth. Notes. <clears throat> Forbidding the toothbrush does not mean that these persons should not clean their teeth at all. They should make use of soft powder or other drugs instead of twigs. Um, so I should tell that person they should, um, the person who doesn't brush their teeth that it doesn't mean that they should not clean their teeth at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so... There there yeah. was this very sweet story of Dr. Rosie said the first KSA group, she was going back to India and she wanted everyone to experience uh, neem twigs as toothbrush. So she like <laughs> secret, like she brought them in into the, she smuggled them into the U.S. When she went home, she like found all these twigs and like wrapped them up and then wrapped them in plastic and brought them back so everyone could have a neem twig toothbrush for a little while, which is pretty cool. I want to I want to know how that went. Like <laughs> I want some I want to understand how that works. I've never done that. <laughs> yeah, me either. <laughs> me either. Yeah. So, one day so when we're all in when India, we go to we India, go find some twigs. We're yeah. going to go get some neem toothbrushes and uh yeah. We're going to have some special time together. <laughs> um <laughs> I love how in Ayurveda, they use parts of the body as me measurements, like an Anjali is your hands cupped together, Angulas is your the width of your finger. Um, I, I love that because it goes to, it just like, because they mentioned the Angula in here and I'm like, oh, there's another one. There's a new measurement that I have. Because um, like your body is like your body is the barometer you know for itself it is the um the stand it sets the standard um it isn't just like your weight and your height it there's other things going on and um it's good to have an idea of like to, to judge the amount of something you're supposed to take based on your own physical state you know yeah definitely. yeah it's like all the answers are in your body, like all the signs and symptoms. And there, in Chinese medicine, we have the same thing. It's it's called the sun. So, from your knee to your ankle, you have twelve sun. And then the acupoints are somewhere in those twelve suns, and everybody has different 
different 12 zooms. Oh, wow. You know, so, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's like measuring every client that comes by. <laughs> That's super cool. Yeah. This is unrelated, but does your brain ever explode having to learn all these Chinese words now? I was so reluctant. I was like, I love, <laughs> I love uh, Sanskrit. Sanskrit is so easy for me, you know, because it's kind of like the pronunciation, like in Spanish, like it's very easy for me to just read. Well, the like when, with the accents and everything, but in Chinese, it's like, wait, what? Pinyin? I need to learn the Pinyin and the Latin and like. So yeah, I was very reluctant. My my Kafa nature was like, no, I'm not gonna move. But I was like, okay, I have like. It's my duty. I have to do it. It's my dharma. <laughs> Chinese is hard. It's a hard one. Uh, I hear no. I hear no tones. And um, when I think about, like, I have, I have been like, maybe I should study, you know, Chinese medicine at different points in my life. And then I think about all the Chinese that I would have to learn, and I'm like, you know what? <laughs> I'll stick with. I'll, I'll just stick with this for now. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, one of my teachers says, welcome to Chinese medicine. If you want this to be successful, learn Chinese and as well as Greek and Latin, and you will be successful. And we're like, okay, thank you. <laughs> I, um, I looked up uh, a lot of the herbs that are mentioned in here, um, and I think I'm going to provide links from uh, Easy Ayurveda, which is a really great online Ayurveda resource um uh to these different herbs in the show notes if i if i get there who knows like i might just publish this right away and then call it a day but we'll see um <laughs> but uh akra is um it's used in indian and african medicine uh colotropis procera um niagrota is banyan or indian fig tree uh, Kadira is uh, kuch tree, which is used to treat uh, skin disorders, teeth, cough, cold, etc. Ama tree. Um, Karanja is uh, are twigs that were used as toothbrushes in the ancient times, and they're used in uh, vaginal and skin and abdominal diseases. And Kakuba is the Arjuna tree, the black variety. And um, it's listed for like a million things. Um, and... I have a note here about um, on forbidding the toothbrush. Is this too much vata to introduce in an imbalanced system? Um, like shedding layers for teeth. Oh, so like um, when it says that you shouldn't, um, when they say that you should forbid the the um, toothbrush for, and they list all of these things. Um, I was wondering if that is almost like Garshana being bad for excess Vata. Kind of relate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like, if you're introducing too much, like, it, it may be in certain diseases, it introduces too much Vata into, to the mouth or, you know, to the Astidatu, maybe. Um, the same way that, you know, when you're doing it to the skin. Um, that just crossed my mind while I was reading it. So. 
maybe we should go on to um, Anjana. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Anjana, Colerium to the eyes. Um, I didn't even take notes on this part, so this might be fun. Salviranjana uh, <laughs> uh, is good for the eyes, hence it should be used as eye salve daily. The eye is full of tejas, light, and has risk of troubles, especially from Schleifman, Kapha. Hence, rasa, Rasanjana should be used once a week to drain it, Kapha, out. And the notes say, Salviranjana is one of antimony sulfide, available as shining black pebbles in the riverbed of Sovira <laughs> County, modern Afghanistan and Baluchistan. A kind of collarium eye cell cudgel is being prepared from this one along some other plant products and used in ancient times both as a medicine and as a cosmetic. Rasanjana is prepared from the decoction of Daruharidra, um, Berberis aristata. It is an irritant and so used to produce more lacrimation. Afterwards, the person should make use of Navana, nasal drops, Gandusa, um, mouth gargles, Duma, inhalation of smoke, and Tambula, chewing of betel leaves. Um, hmm. This led me... I was me... very curious, yes. Hmm, go ahead. I was very curious about the inhalation of smoke. I was too, and I started looking it up. And uh, Easy Ayurveda has a lot of information on this, and it's interesting... Because actually, this led me down a couple of paths. Um, I thought I didn't take notes, but I have a few here. Um, so uh, I started looking up how kajal is made traditionally and how you can make kajal at home. It's really um, neat, isn't it? It's so neat. and um, But it, it's mostly like burning ghee and herbs together. Yep. And, and then you get smoke and you... Um, collect the smoke on a like silver dish and you scrape it off and you have uh, eyeshadow and then you dip a brush in water and you gather up the eyeshadow on the brush and paint it onto your eyes and, huh. and that is yeah medicinal cudgel um which i i like really want to make someday i like makeup i love like i i don't know i've always yeah. i haven't been wearing it for like the past year but like i've always enjoyed wearing makeup and um i love whenever i find a way to do makeup more naturally or to find um or to like make it myself i'm very excited about that and um but the smoke inhalation i didn't take too many notes but basically what i read said that some people benefit from i think it add some vata to the system maybe right before the kapha time of day and yeah. what they oh okay and they inhale like certain herbs like chamomile or like a lavender smoke um there it depends or even like a trifola smoke uh i think it depends on what you need and not too many people I, this is not commonly practiced today, but I think that there was a time when it was more commonly practiced, and it's probably similar to like using a hookah or something. Yeah, I've yeah I've heard of that too. So it's yeah reducing kapha, and you're inhaling certain things. I mean, you're not sitting there like with it right under your nose, but it's more of like a wafting it in, and it's not a lot. 
if that makes That's sense. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. It kind of goes back I to I remember when I, I arrived to Sweden yeah, the first time. The first things that I bought from the Ayurvedic pharmacy were like my neem soap and my kajal because I also wanted makeup. <laughs> Ayurvedic makeup. That's how I got into Ayurveda. <laughs> That's funny. Apparently, Himalaya sells a yes. naturally made uh, medicated one here that you can get. Yeah, that's the same one that I bought. Yeah. Back in India. I think I'm going to try to make it someday, but I might buy it first and then make it because um, then I can have a sense of what like, uh, the texture should be like. You know, I'll get an idea of how it would come out what what uh, a packaged product feels like first I um I listened to some lecture that I will try and find that talked about how to make it and its benefits but it's super neat right to think of putting something on your eye that's actually protective or medicinal versus just um I mean our current a lot of makeup right now is just toxic to your skin right that you're putting someplace near very sensitive mucous membranes maybe not such a great idea but yeah. something that's beneficial sounds great. Also, my eyes are, like, kind of a mess. And the past two years, I've had, like, some eye stuff going on. Um, and, like, I keep needing new glasses. And, <laughs> like, I'm not. Um, and my eyes are, like, dry and red. And um, typical treatments aren't doing it for me right now. And I was like, this might be worth trying something like this. Um, it's kind of cool. Sound. Yeah, one of the first treatments that I used to do for the eyes were like from I think I got it from the Hatha Yoga Pradipika just staring at a, a candle. the light of a candle yeah. exactly and it's like for 10 minutes yeah this is way when I had way more time <laughs> in the morning <laughs> and yes it's a cleansing of the eyes yeah it's so helpful to sit there and you try and not blink so letting your your tear ducts kind of cleanse your eye and the candlelight is very gentle and it's it's very meditative. It's really cool to do it. Yeah. I did it too when I cool. also had more time. When I had <laughs> when I had like this elaborate morning routine of hour and a half of yoga and twenty minutes of breathing and then thirty minutes of meditation. <laughs> like, and you know, that was all following my like my morning scrub down and my it was all very luxurious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, those yeah, were the totally good times. It's normal to wake up at 3.30 to do all this before you start the day. <laughs> now, and then at 8 p.m., you're running to your house like, I need to go to bed now because I have a big, a big morning. Exactly. I'm like staring at a candle. <laughs> and now I'm like, yeah, I can totally scrape my tongue. I think I can do that. I think I can fit in the tongue scraping. <laughs> you know what? If you do one for the rest of your life, that's that's enough exactly one with intention right and presence exactly (laughs) yeah (laughs) i wonder if we should maybe do one more and then wrap it up because we're at an hour at this point um and my biggest fear is that i'll make these episodes too long and nobody will listen to them anymore (laughs) and also (laughs) also i have to get my kid off of his video game because all morning he was like when are you podcasting when do you get to podcast I want to podcast. I want you to podcast so I can play video games. So um, <laughs> if I don't get him off soon, I'll lose him for the whole day. <laughs> funny. Um, I also think that with the inhalation of smoke and, you know, all of this stuff is almost anything 
for anything can be food, medicine, or poison, right? So we yeah. tend to think of cigarette smoke and how terrible smoke is for you, and it's so awful. But smoke can actually be indicated in some cases when, you know, for the proper person and the proper time of day, etc. All these it's things it's... can be beneficial. Uh, Dr. Sp actually, the... Sorry. I was just going to say, uh, Dr. Spoboda talks a lot about uh, Vimalananda um, chewing tobacco leaves every day instead of eating food and how he like his body knew how to do like internal alchemy to turn that that poison into nutrients, you know, and I don't think anybody should do this, but it goes to show like how anything can be used depending like your body can learn to do things with with different um, substances. Yeah, it's the Native Americans, North and South, used to do that. You know, I remember my grandparents, like um, the tobacco, it would always smell to a tobacco whenever I would like sit next to my grandparents, like back in the early 90s. Of course, they don't do that anymore. Um, the, the, and the next paragraph talks about it, about chewing. Mm -hmm. especially bell chewing so we can step back and read about it who wants to do the reading i think i may have lost you all um i can do it okay. so Hello. tambula savanna which is beetle chewing tambula beetle chewing is unsuitable harmful to those suffering from wounds bleeding diseases dryness redness of the eyes poisoning, unconsciousness, intoxication, and even from consumption. So tambula, which is beetle chewing, this is the note, or pan chewing, is an ancient custom. Yeah? Oh, we missed it. Oh, no. Oh, it did. Oh, yeah. We were lost. We lost Danielle. Thanks. 